Hello and welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, author of How to Start a Side Hustle and resident business coach, serving you straight up business advice to help you start, grow and scale the business of your dreams. Welcome back to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford. And on today's episode, I chat with the incredible Claire, who is the founder of Acid Flowers, a beautiful Instagram account, which has boutique flowers that she hand paints herself. And she does those as bouquets, but also installations. And in today's episode, we dive into her career journey to to date, how she took so many twists and turns, when to know what path to follow, when to walk away, the lessons she learned from working in startups, from a brand new startup with small budgets to big startups like Airtasker, and how she went on to build a creative agency for herself, consulting and styling and working with some really big, epic brands. But I think the thing that I really love about this, and I know there's a lot of people out there who struggle to figure out what idea to follow and, you know, how to make it a business. And I think Claire's story is incredibly inspiring about how she followed her path one step at a time and collected knowledge and insights about herself and her skill set at every turning point, which kept evolving into the business that she built as a consultant, but also what went on to become Acid Flowers and the way that she runs that business in an incredibly um, powerful, organized and creative way. Um, So lots of awesome insights about what path to take, how to build, you know, a brand for yourself when you've been doing it for other brands for so long, as well as starting as as a side hustle and a passion project and then building that up. Claire's had some incredible successes from working with uh, brands like, you know, in installations at the NGV, National Gallery of Victoria, Van Shoes, uh, Caseify, and so many more epic brands. So lots of wisdom and insights into the journey that she took to get there and lots of advice for you looking to do the same. Enjoy the episode, guys. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Claire. Nice to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to meet you properly. Yeah, it's, I feel like it's one of those Instagram circle worlds that, you know, you collide and see people's work and things. So it's, I love getting the stories behind some of my favorite accounts and artists. So stoked to have you here as the founder of Acid Flowers, but also your own personal consulting and um, service-based business as well. But maybe you can kick us off and uh, introduce yourself and what you do and all the many different hats you wear. Yeah, certainly. So uh, my name's Claire. I am, like you said, the founder of Acid Flowers, which is a floral art studio. And that is my sort of newest practice. I do also work as a stylist and a brand strategist, which I've been doing for sort of 15 years-ish. So I work with lots of different fun brands doing that. And I have just launched a, a brand identity studio with a friend called Human Relations. So that's sort of bubbling along in the background as well. Amazing. And that's doing um, branding and, and helping brands, businesses set up. Yeah, help, yeah, helping other brands 
find their awesome. unique style and identity and yeah, to put into the world. Amazing. I love it. And we'll definitely get into, you know, acid flowers and all the cool things that you're doing, but maybe you could share with us where you got started and, you know, how you got into brand identity and, you know, all the, the cool people that you've worked with and that 15 year career that led into what you're doing now. Yeah, for sure. It's been really non-linear. So um, I think part of That's where I've landed, time. it's the best way, right? Like, linear is I think part of where I've landed. <laughs> it's like too predictable. And also like, I think the world is changing so fast that those sort of like predefined pathways just don't work anymore. Mm. So yeah, I actually started, I grew up in Perth. I started my I guess professional study at the West Australia Academy of Performing Arts doing costuming. So mm. from a very like theatrical OTT kind of visual background. Mm. Um, and I sort of look back at that now. And even though I didn't end up in that space, I think it gave me a real foundation of, um, I guess, like visual language and really understanding the thought behind what you're putting forward and what that represents and, you know, the history of clothing and how we wear and what we wear and then putting that into a sort of a theatrical or film setting where everything's considered. So, you know, as much as you're making something look cool, everything means something, everything has a reference, everything is purposeful. So I don't know if I appreciated that at the time, but looking back now, I'm like, that is definitely what set me up to have this knowledge of like, this is how things should look. This is how we make someone feel something. This is what we put together to, you know, represent a mood or a you know positioning or whatever we need to. So that was the start. I love that. I've got my partner works in film and it's so interesting seeing all of, you know, like especially costuming, right? It's like it tells you a story about the character without having to use dialogue or, you know, a background story. So it's like those little details that you don't realise are helping you to believe the story or the character or whatever, you know? hundred percent. And I think it is very much about that, like subliminal understanding that we, you know, we've all got these layers of context. And, you know, for me, brand is very much about that. Like before you read anything, you see something or you hear something and that, you know, that makes you feel something like you associate it with, um, you know, things that you've seen in the past or things you've learned and, you know, those things you know, layer into your understanding. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, we'll get into this and also probably why your work is so potent and stands out because I think sometimes we live in, you know, you probably noticed this being in business for 15 years of if this, if the market can get quite flooded of everyone being like, oh, I've got a logo and, um, you know, and a product that I want to sell. Why is no one buying it? And it's like more and more so we're looking for what are the references and the meaning and the the subliminal feeling that it makes us feel. Um, yeah. That so is why that. we choose yeah. brands, right? Yeah. And I think it's so interesting you've said that and it's very much what um, my new studio, Human Relations, is trying to um, get people to understand that it's not just about having something that looks cool. It really needs to be thoughtful and purposeful mm. and, you know, make sense for what you're doing and who you're doing it for. So, yeah. Sort of bringing yeah. up that, that emotional connection so important. I love it. So good. And so from costuming in Perth, what happened next? So costuming I loved, but it's a pretty small industry in Australia um, and I couldn't see sort of a place to land after that. And I was always obsessed with fashion. So 
went to Melbourne and studied at RMIT. So I did a degree in fashion design. So um, very similar in the sense that like I spent a lot of time sewing. Like, <laughs> very, very detailed. Couldn't do it now, but you know, made lots of things, you know, all of the, the fun of understanding textiles and just like pattern making and bringing together all of those elements. Um, and again, like loved the practical aspect of that, but was always really interested in the kind of the storytelling and the editorial pieces and, you know, styling and VM and how you present, you know, the meaning of a brand or a collection. So finished up that. I was sort of working in independent film while I was studying. So there's always a bit of a layering going on. Um, but yeah, I finished up that and I was working in Melbourne doing a couple of things. So a bit of styling assisting, which was really fun, a bit of VM. Um, and that was all sort of ticking along and I was like, sweet, amazing. This is it. Like, I love Melbourne. Fun stuff to do here. Like, I'm set. I'm just going to keep on this pathway and mm. keep going. Uh, but I got sort of a, I guess, a life life moment as things um, tend to happen. So my father was very ill. And I sort of got a call early in, I want to say, 2012. And my parents were just like, look, kind of time's up. Like, if you want to you know, be here for the last bit, it's time to come back. So, yeah, I went back to Perth and did palliative care for my dad for, like, three months, which was just, like, transformative. So he um, he had bowel cancer and he was just, like, at the end of all mm. options and, yeah, just got to a point where we're like, cool, like now's the time. So yeah, did that like hands-on care for wow. months and just sort of dropped dropped life and just had that real, I guess, change in perspective going from a world where, you know, fashion, like I was obsessed with fashion. Like there was, I really didn't care about anything else. Like mm -hmm. the only thing I wanted to do and sort of going from that world where like there's a lot of pressure for things that are quite superficial um, mm. and like a lot of stress around things that you know they don't really change the game like lots of egos lots of attitude like lots of amazing creativity but also lots of unnecessary stress mm. coming sort of into a situation where you know my world was completely upturned and I was like oh wow like there's whole mm. there's a whole lot of other stuff that's you know important out there yeah. Um, so, yeah, like during that time, I sort of, I guess I was in Perth, you know, back somewhere that I had actively chosen to leave for various reasons. Mm. And I just woke up one morning and I was like, got to run, like got to go. Mm. And like was the most unsporty person mm. I met. And I just like, it was like a visceral response. I was like, just need to leg mm. it. So, um, like literally. Like literally. It was like, can't wow. physically run away, but can physically run. So yeah. Yeah, I started running. And that was just again, like this really transformative experience. Like I felt like clarity like I'd never felt before. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like all the thoughts that are running around in my head all of the time are suddenly really clear. And it was just this real like shift where I was like, oh, well, like had massive creative anxiety all of my life and just didn't realise because mm. I think it was perceived as so normal to be like stressed and highly strung and, you know, running around like a headless chook in the industry that I was working in. Um, so, yeah, those like two experiences combined, like mm. the, I guess, the hands-on care 
uh, my father going through a significant you know, phase of life and then taking it running and understanding the like transformative power of movement. Mm-hmm. Both those things together, I was just like, whoa, okay, like there's a whole new world in this, need to do something mm-hmm. else. Um, and like was sort of floating around for a bit, working out what that looked mm-hmm. like. Um, but I ended up going to study physiotherapy. So wow, massive shift. Plot <laughs> <What a> twist. <laughs> yeah, like, whoa. <laughs> Isn't it wild how live, you know, I, I'm sorry to hear like that experience with your dad or you know, it unfolded as it meant to, but I was um, with my grandma recently who was taken to hospital and I was went to be with her and the same thing. And I was on holidays in Hobart and she was two hours away in um, Launceston Hospital and just got in a car and went and had been like, I'm just popping into Hobart for the weekend and take my, and I'm not taking my laptop. My partner and I were just like, first time that we don't need it. We're actually having a holiday mm-hmm. <laughs> and then was in Hobart with caring for my nan. I mean, Launceston for, you know, over a week and was forced to stop and slow down. And I was just like, wow, sitting with my nan doing a puzzle was so like, this is stuff that you'll, I would never have allowed myself to take that time. Yeah. And then it's like, um, that is life. Like those, yeah. are the, me, I, those bits. I haven't checked Instagram in hours. <laughs> you know? yep. And it's like, um, and the world's still going like. Yeah. Yeah. And those memories and it's, yeah, those things where you can, you, it's easy to get on a, on a treadmill of, you know, going where you think you're meant to be going. And then you kind of have those snaps where it's like, hey, yeah, plot twist. Massively. That. And I think mm-hmm. very much that idea of like getting caught up in other people's pathways mm-hmm. is so easy. And it's like, you should do this, you should do that. Like getting swept away in, you know, the expectations of something that aren't necessarily where you want to direct your, you know, your life, your career. So yeah, that was a like a huge, huge pivot. Um, yeah. And so physiotherapy. Yeah. So like, just, it was pretty, pretty surreal walking into this, you know, like this class on you know the first day of term one with mostly people who are school leavers. Um, mostly incredibly sporty, like, you know, physio is a really interesting degree because it's sort of, I reckon there's probably 70% of people start doing it because they're really obsessed with sport and they like want to work with a football team or, you know, like a netball team or, you know, they're really into that. And then there are usually more mature age people who are like, this is about healthcare and it's about helping people through significant parts of their life and, you know, it's about recovery. Like there's a lot of, a lot of really, um, I guess like quite heavy medical mm-hmm. and psychological elements to it that people don't necessarily understand until they're a couple of years into it. So yeah, walking into like a class of basically 18 year olds who are like super sporty and I'm like, Hey, like I'm from fashion, like uh-huh. nice to meet you. Um, but yeah, like it was a really interesting couple of years. Like I was fully committed to doing that. Like loved it, learned so much. Like had phenomenal experiences. I did like a placement in the emergency department, which was just wild. Like yeah, learned yeah. a lot. Wow. Um, like busted ass, worked really hard. Yeah. Like, it's funny. Like I come from a space where like I'm quite academic, but I'd never really used it so mm. 
yeah, having to kind of go back and be like, oh my God, I have to like learn this stuff that's hard. That was a new game. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's so interesting. Yeah. And so while I was doing that, I was still working like creative on the side. So this was the era of like flat lays being a big thing. So I sort of became like flat lay stylist. So did lots of editorial and campaigns in WA, which was fun. Um, but yeah, it was just sort of like trotting along. I was like, cool, okay, like styling's fun, physio's the future. Um, but I think while, sorry, it's a really long No, <laughs> I'm here for it. I love this. I'm, I'm like, yes. Up. How did you get to where you were? <laughs> oh um, so I think part of the thing of coming into a completely different industry from a background that is different to most people who go into that industry was that I've obviously got a very different lens on what it is, what it's for, what I perceive it to be, and also what's kind of best practice in other spaces. So coming from fashion, which is all about like, it's about presentation, it's about things being slick, it's about stuff being, you know, emotive and like easy access and, you know, looking the business and then going into a world that was very much like everything's clinical, everything's scientific, everything's like horrible stock photos everything looks the same. There's no differentiation. I was just like, mm. how do you, <laughs> how does anyone like understand this? How do people know to yeah. come to you? Like, yeah. what's that about? Um, so yeah, I ended up doing a bit of work with um, different practitioners and sort of working with like clinical health businesses to help evolve like their brands and their digital comms and, you know, mm. their social up to speed and get their websites, you know, functional. So <laughs> but I think, guess that was, the first point where I really saw like the application of my skills in a different sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was sort of, yeah, uh, like an interesting realization that I was like, cool, like I'm not teaching these people how to sew. I'm not giving them like a new outfit, but what I've learned from that industry is really relevant. Mm-hmm. Other industries. So yeah, that was like a good, but kind of, pivotal moment as well yeah massive and I think it's that you know similar I guess to what I think when I think of sometimes I'm like what do I do (laughs) how did I get here and it's like those realizations of like what what is my actual skill set and I think this is something you know people at home to always be thinking about who are going well what you know what do I actually do it's like yeah, I'm a business coach or a podcaster, but it's like I'm actually a translator of, you know, information that makes it, you know, digestible um, or, you know, coherent. And yeah, similar to you where you started, you're starting to figure out like, okay, well, it's not fashion. Maybe, you know, might not be physio or running, but it's like you, you're see, starting to see the common thread and the skill set that starts to pop out no matter what environment you're in. Yeah, and it's like it's those bits that like you get excited about and you're like, oh, and that could happen there and that could happen there. And it's like that's really useful and like you just keep feeding those into the, I guess, you know, toolkit. Yeah. I, I want to ask a quick question here if it's okay because I know that people and I actually had a coaching client the other day, you know, and it's like there's uh, – we were talking about the power of this these processes and like you know looking and what I love about people's stories is you can kind of see the thread or the you know it's like you took this from that and then that from that and then this you know every all these pivotal moments you're talking about had a lesson to get you to where you are do you think what was those pivot moments 
what did they feel like? Was it like, oh, you know, did because I know some people can get really caught up and I don't know whether this is as the world gets more and more fast paced and we're comparing ourselves to other people's journeys more often, but it can be easy, I think, for people to be like, a pivot is a, a failure or they're going too slow or, you know, rather than seeing it as like, okay, let's keep following the thread. But did you have moments yeah. where those pivots felt like, what am I doing? Or, you know, why can't I figure this out? Or, you know, I'm changing careers again or, you know. I think for me, I've always been quite one track mind. Like I really have like a North Star that is my thing at the time. And I, through the experiences that I've had, I've learned that that will change like life has many elements to it. Like it's not going to be the same thing forever. Mm. And I just sort of say it's phases, like whatever feels like the most important thing at the time, sweet. Like that is the most important thing at the time. Focus mm. on that. And if you get to a point where, you know, the world around you changes or your scenario changes or your interests change, that's totally okay. Like mm. the star can change, but it doesn't make the other ones invalid. Mm -hmm. Love that. Thank you. Good advice. <laughs> um, yeah, so you're starting to help glow up the physio industry. Glowing up the physio industry, which was <laughs> One fun. website at a time. <laughs> it was more like it was very social focused at the time. Flatly. Went flatly. Like, <laughs> not too many physio partners. I did do some, um, like I had a friend who was a ski specialist physio, so we did some ski flatlays, which was cute. <laughs> But yeah, where to from there? So I was in a relationship at the time that was pretty hackers um, and it just got to a point that it was not functional to be mm. continuing um, in that dynamic um, and it just ended in a like fairly traumatic way and I was just like, okay, like need to, something's got to give, need to mm. take a second. Um, so I ended up deferring my study because I was like, cool, like that's still going to be there in six months' time. I need to mm. just take a minute. Um, and I had always wanted to go to London and I was sort of coming up to the point where it would have been very challenging to get a visa if I didn't go then. So I was like, sweet, now's the time, like just pop over, do some freelancing, yeah, you know, see what it's like and then come back and continue on the physio path. And while I was there, I had the opportunity to work in the uh, incubator at the Royal College of Arts, mm. which is super cool. It's called Innovation RCA, really phenomenal. It was like quite early, I guess, before Australia had a lot of like accelerators or kind of startup mm. incubation hubs. And so it was a really fresh concept. I mean, I was like, this is amazing. It's like people mm. who have come through the RCA, have amazing ideas, and they're now, like, incubating them to become businesses. Mm. I was like, that's cool. Like, what? Amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I met a lady who was starting her company through that, so Dr. Carmen Hiosa, who developed a textile out of pineapple leaf fibre to turn into, like, a vegan leather alternative. Wow. On Pinutex, super amazing. Uh, just, like, ticking a lot of boxes for me in terms of sustainability and fashion. So sort of left out of the story. Part of the reason that I was also like disillusioned with fashion was it was like 
pre-Rana Plaza, like pre the sort of sustainability conversation, there was mm. a lot of fast fashion shit going on and not a lot of better options. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so like meeting this woman who was like, she did a PhD in her 60s and developed this textile, like wow, so cool, so mm. inspiring. And yeah, just like had the opportunity to work with her a bit. Um, and it was sort of the thing where, again, she had this amazing product this amazing vision but didn't necessarily have the skill set or the resources to look at the sort of the brand around that so Mm -hmm. even though the product was amazing the brand was like grim like their logo looked like a green version of like the durex logo like it was just (laughs) like was bad in like all the ways um and they had this like really interesting dilemma where like what they were doing was so fascinating and like so novel in the textile world like heaps of big brands wanted what they did but they were like all the communication channels were blocked they were like people were starting to get angry and like put I don't know, like just like grumbling online so like mm. yeah the, so the brand was like failing before it started because mm. they were managing the sort of external perception of it so yeah, being me, I'm like, I can see that this can be fixed. I'm really yeah. excited about the opportunity to help move mm-hmm. this amazing product along. So, yeah, did I was like in London for a couple more weeks. Where I was like, I'll work with you on this to like get this to a point where it's. Mm-hmm. And I was like, then I'm going back to Perth to like finish my degree. So, mm-hmm. sweet, see ya. Did that. And then like being a startup, they were like, oh, we don't have anyone to keep doing it can you just like keep helping remotely just to like until we get someone I was like yeah yeah like for sure I'm not gonna like waste all the work that I've just done so I came back to Perth and I was like fabulous time difference for London doing meetings at like 11 p.m and being like cool guys like <laughs> I'll keep doing this but like let me know when you've got someone um I just kind of kept ticking along on that and then I ended up going to Italy with Nike to do something running related because running's awesome. Um, yeah. I was like, I'll just pop in to London on the way home and like hand over this project to whoever's in the office at Pinitex. Like anyone mm. who's there, it's fine. Like, can't keep working. Mm. Like, they need someone to do a property. And I was like all prepped. I'm like sitting in Milan ready to go to Italy the next sort of ready to go to London the next day. I'm like, awesome. Meeting's locked in get a call from Pinutex and they're like, hey, you're coming tomorrow? I was like, sure am. And they're like, awesome, we're going to offer you a job. So that was too good an opportunity to turn down. So in the world of life pivots, I went back to Perth, packed up everything, went back to London and worked for the startup for like a year and a half. Um, Amazing experience. It was really wild my first experience of I guess a really fast growing startup that had an amazing vision not enough resources like <laughs> lots of hustle lots of just like doing what you can at the time mm-hmm. um and then like a lot of startup situations I got let go really unexpectedly and I was like oh shit like there's my visa what am I going to do mm. um but fortunately I got picked up by Airtasker's London launch team while they were over there so spent a few months working with them and then that brought me to Sydney because mm. they were based here so yeah wow. 
had this really wild couple of years of going from like pure design and creative into clinical health, but understanding that like comms was the interesting thing for me there. Um, and then startup world, starting in something that was like very lo-fi and then moving into tech, which mm. is obviously a whole different game. So could yeah, not wow. could not have planned that pathway. Like yeah. it did not intend it to, I guess, be the journey. But yep. for me, there were really interesting, there were just there were things that caught my attention mm-hmm. and were really fascinating. And I could not pass up the opportunity to learn more. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that real following the intuition and, you know, what's presenting itself and not being afraid to, you know, to jump in and do it. And um, and so with Airtasker, did you, were you in that branding comms side? Was it when yeah, they were so starting? Was it- so I was doing social PR um, yeah. when I started in London and then came back and was doing, yes, like social strategy and comms. Mm. And was, was it when they started? So it was like... No, so they, they'd been going in Australia for, I should know this, a number yeah. of years and it was yeah. their first move overseas. So yeah. they had they'd fundraised, like they had a, a really strong launch plan mm. for the UK. Um, so, yeah, I was working with a team of, I think, eight mm. on ground and so, again, like pretty hacky. Um, yeah. But with the, I guess, the knowledge and the benefit of the existing brand mm. and business in Australia, but then having to localize that for a very different market. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty different to anything I'd worked in before because like they had budgets, they had freedom. It went, it was very fast. So it was like, what are we doing this week? What are we doing that week? Like ideas up on the board, like. You want to do a pop up, pop up at like Shoreditch High Street? Sweet. Like we'll do that next week. Awesome. It was wild. <laughs> I mean, I think also it's something that I love about communicating with people and I really enjoyed with you is your um, work ethic or like diligence. Like I, sometimes people will be like that. We're like, oh, thanks for the quick response. I'm like, doesn't everyone get an email that they, you know. Um, and, you know, like, and I think I can see through your career this level of like learning that from the really intense pressure cooker environments of, you know, things like startups and, you know, Airtasker is, I think it was around the time of, you know, like Ubers and things where it was like tech startups, you know, launching fast and hard. Um, and I was always so intrigued by watching Uber. And I interviewed them years ago for our magazine, but it's like, it was a behavior change, you know, and I've always found that so interesting of teaching people. That, yeah, like I think about you know, threads launching now and how quickly everyone just goes, oh, yeah, cool. And it's like, but that was Airtasker and Uber was like, hey, this is using tech to simplify your life. And really, like we had to learn that behavior that is now yeah. just, you know, like everything else that we do. We, yeah, I think that's so interesting. It's like, the amount of change that we've had in behavior socially over the like our lifetimes, like how much more and how much faster is that going to happen? And I think mm. there is such value in being able to like roll with those changes and mm. you know, things in rather than yeah blocking stuff because it's not what and you're having the and being a part of the company where you got to figure out how do we 
teach, how do we educate people? How do we, because it's awareness, it was, you know, it's awareness of this new tech and, you know, um, app and brand awareness. And then it's teaching people how to do it and then creating trust in there. And then like, you know, it's like that for me is so interesting. It's so fascinating, right? And it's like the the really interesting thing I found about Airtasker is because it's a marketplace, you have these two different audiences that you have to communicate Mm. to. So there's, you know, the people who are saying, I need a someone to hang up a painting or, you know, mm. I need someone to mow my lawn. But then you've also got the taskers who are the people who are presenting their services. And so mm. completely different streams of communication and different priorities, but having to bring that forward in a cohesive brand. Yeah, huge. I mean, you did your job because it feels like it's a literal phrase now of like, um, you know, oh, just air task that. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> It has definitely become a thing. Uh, yeah. Part of a than me. Yeah. That one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Part oh, of it. And so through that, you were working for Airtasker in Sydney full time? Yeah. So I came back and was with them full time for about six months. Um, and I think coming back to Australia, I was just like, okay, cool. I've been on this like pretty hectic ride for a couple of years. Like, I really was. I guess, like full pelt at Pinatex. So that was something I was incredibly passionate about and I really put like everything into that. Mm. Um, and then having that sort of unexpected shift to an industry that was really interesting and I learned heaps from but wasn't necessarily my, you know, not necessarily my North Star to be building mm-hmm. that business. Yep. And so I think coming back to Australia just gave me the opportunity to be like, okay, cool, like is this – the direction you want to be following, like mm-hmm. what are the options if you do that and are they the right ones for you mm-hmm. at this point? And I decided they were not. So, yeah, jumped back out and went freelance mm-hmm. and have been freelancing since then. Amazing. And so this is the intriguing part because we are like, oh, yeah, I just went freelance and here we are. <laughs> was it scary? Did you have clients lined up? Did you – and can I ask how long – was that – how long ago was that when you kind of jumped ship and went freelance? Um, that was probably like four years ago. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, I feel like that was still very much the, you know, like it was it was a risky thing to, it still is, but, you know, I think more people are figuring it out and doing it. And, but yeah, I feel like that was definitely around the time where it was just like, what are you doing? Yeah. And I think I would say, especially in Sydney, it seems to be like, People like that idea of the security. They're like, you go to a nice office and mm. you know, that's your life. Um, I guess I, before Pinatex, I hadn't worked full-time in-house anywhere. So mm. for me, working independently has always been the sort of the more natural state of being. And I think part of that is because I'm very left brain, right brain, and I don't always fit into uh, kind of an in-house role that easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did the work I like doing is often work that is transformational or it's something that happens to get a brand or a business to another point. And then mm-hmm. after that, they don't need me because they're already there. Mm. So, mm. The kind of the nature of what I do is that it's often shorter contracts. Yep. Um, so yeah, like I wasn't, I wasn't worried about going freelance again, like mm. to me, it's very much about 
knowing what you're offering. And so you know, I had a portfolio, like I'd gone, I'd gone over to London with the idea that I'd freelance mm. actually. And, you know, I had a lot of work behind me that I could show. And I guess I also kind of know how the sort of the experience of working with clients mm. and contractors works. And I was like, cool, you reach out to people, you introduce yourself, you let them know what you can do. And then you just keep doing that and you'll get work. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And then you do good work and the word spreads too, you know? Yeah. So like definitely wasn't, wasn't worried about it. Um, mm. I mean, I guess I would caveat that with like, it's a hustle. Like it doesn't mm. just magically, you know, just say like I'm freelance today and then suddenly you've got 20 jobs lined up. Like it is a, it's an evolving process and mm-hmm. like particularly when you, when you work with teams, like, so I do like art direction and styling and, you know, I need, mm. I need teams to do that with. So I you know, sort of have built up my network of photographers and videographers and cool people to work with. And that is, I think, massively important mm. when one's trying to work independently because there are points in time where you'll be really busy and you'll be getting all the inquiries and, you know, you'll be passing work on to those crews. And then there's times where you'll be dead, but they'll be getting mm. all the inquiries. So mm. it's sort of yeah. balances. Yeah, I love that. And I often get asked in coaching and online about, you know, how do I build my Instagram following and things like that? And it's like, you know, what's one aspect of building a business? And there's, you know, I actually think like OG networking and who knows about you and who's the decision, you know, like how many people know about you and are going to bring you up in a situation, in a conversation that you would be suited for, you know. Um, and that's the power in that. And it's like, I constantly, you know, I've been doing it for 10 years and I've constantly got a list of like brands to pitch to or uh, speaking gigs or, you know, constantly expanding that network and making sure, you know, you're in front of new audiences. And I think people forget that that relationship building is so much more powerful than likes on Instagram. Totally. And it's like, people are busy and it's like, just because you're putting stuff on your Insta, it doesn't mean that the right people are seeing it. Like. Mm. It's like, yes, of course, you never know what opportunities come from that, but mm. yeah, you're so right, like getting in front of the right people with mm. a crafted message, being like, yeah, this is what I'm offering. You know, this is how I can help you, basically. Because yeah. that's always mm. what it has to be. Like, yeah, you know, there's no, it's very hard to get a job by being like, oh, please, do you have any work? Like, what's going on? Mm. You have to be like, I'm working on this, you know, I think it's relevant to what you do, you know, hit me up if you'd like to discuss. Yep. And so can I ask about that? Because I think it's really interesting. And I think, you know, some people, when I give advice about pitching yourself, it's like, you have to kind of join the dots, you know, like a, 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 you know, fashion brand is busy making clothes and selling clothes, you know, they're not thinking about you and what you could bring you have to come in and be like hey you know if I style this and shoot you know whatever that is then we this is the you know what you can you know how it will help your business and so you actually show them and that all they have to do is be like yes you know um but I yeah I'm interested to be like what was your kind of pitch because I think sometimes people a just think people are going to come to them you're right or say hey do you need anything and the pitch is too open-ended but like, what was that for you? And how did you go about, I guess, because the other thing just quickly on that is like, 
you know, brands are so busy often, you know, doing the thing that they do that you come in and go, here, you also could use this and this is how it'll help. But then you also, the pitch has to be good enough for people to go, oh yeah, it's worth kind of taking, you know, some energy or focus off, you know, making clothes and figuring out the a photo shoot, you know, and and why that's important to invest in. But what was that for you? I think it's, you're so right. Like it's all about the value add. Like at the end of the day, like no one owes you anything. Like if you want to get involved in something, you have to demonstrate your value in that situation. Um, so yeah, I think with pitching, it is thinking it through and working out what you are offering. And it's always got to be from a place of it's value for them. It's not about what you're getting out of it. Like, yes, there are various things that you'll get out of it. And I think there are, this is potentially a different like channel of conversation, but it's like, it's not always getting paid. Like some things it is to work with a certain team or a certain brand, or it is to be in a certain publication or whatever it is. Like, I definitely believe that the value to you as a creative or a business is not always just like purely monetary. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, certainly like, making sure that you're clear about the value for whoever you're pitching to and exactly what you said, like make it easy. Like you need it to be really accessible. Don't go in with like a 40 page deck that they have to like scroll through to work out what the idea is. Something that is really clear, really easy to understand. Um, And just like open the conversation. Like you need to be willing to be flexible on what you're doing because you don't, usually know someone's schedule, what their other priorities are. It's sort of going in with uh, what if we did this, but open to discussion Mm -hmm. on something else. Yeah. So did you have, were you pitching ideas? Were you coming in or were you pitching your services? But like, had you done a bit of extra work for the brands? I mean, not maybe it's, you know. Yeah, it's a different for everyone. but Different for different things because I have, I guess, a few sort of strings to my bow. With styling, I often pitch ideas because you know, I have a vision in my mind and I'm like, we could do this, like that would be fun. Um, with brand strategy work or brand kind of identity stuff, it's more about seeing an opportunity and presenting, I guess, the potential of that opportunity. So sort of, I guess, hard to... to how did you put that in a pitch? Mm. I love that. I mean, I feel like that's, it sounds like that's also your life path. You see opportunities and then you, you know, you see a gap and you go, oh, here's how I can creatively contribute to that. And I think it's really good advice because I people don't necessarily do the extra work. It's like, hey, here's my skill set. When you pay me, then I'll show you the opportunity. And I think it's, you know, that willingness to go the extra mile and, you know, and use your brain to see something that is of value to somebody else and say, here's what I've seen, here's how I can fill that gap. Totally. And I think, like, that's something that I've learned from startup land, which is, like, you kind of have to be generous with knowledge and information. Like, you can't expect people to read your mind. And mm-hmm. we're all just going to need to get over that idea of, like, if you if you put a thought out there, suddenly there's like there's no space left for you to do it like mm. everyone else is going to do it and you'll be cut out so mm. yeah I think there's 
definitely something in just like being open enough to start those conversations and to yeah like open those doors to the potential yeah amazing and so that was kind of your freelance strategy of just reaching out to brands and getting work and then building that momentum yeah so very much uh kind of two prongs so I think there is the the like channel one has to take which is like reaching out to people and being like cool like here's my ideas or here's my follow here's stuff that we can do together and I think it's also really important to be doing your own work at the same time so Mm. there is so much value in doing personal work uh, like and you know whether that's you know if you're a photographer or an illustrator or you know whatever you might be if you're a creative practitioner you need to be putting your own work out there regardless Mm. of whether someone is paying you to do it or not Mm -hmm. because that is how you evolve and that's how you get more opportunities to do more of that work so yeah I love that it's really good advice I give I give that advice all the time of being like because also otherwise you end up getting trapped in jobs that are just you know other people's briefs and most creatives I know who end up in that rut are come to be you know for coaching to get it to help them shift and it's like it also creatively kills you (laughs) when you're not doing stuff that you get to have autonomy over as well that's it and I think that like there's so many great examples I mean especially now I mean the the world of social has just given us a real opportunity to be creative brands ourselves Mm. it's like if you have a style that like you have honed and, you know, you're excited about continuing to um, evolve, you know, you can become the go-to for that, which Mm. really helps one set up as a freelancer or, you know, a contractor. Like if you're known for one thing, people will come to you for that. Mm. I love that. Really good. Which also brings me to this going out on your own with Acid Flowers because I think when I was – looking, I mean, I've followed you for a while and loved it. And then I was chatting to my friend, Sean, um, who is a photographer as well. And, um, was saying like, you know, the niche of what you've created to this, you know, painted flowers and it's, yeah, I feel like it's, you've really, yeah, carved out that space that is yours. Um, but yeah, to what was that like? Cause it's almost, you know, another pivot of you're building all these other brands and realizing that your messaging and everything is working and, you know, the, your styling and all comms and then deciding to go, well, hang on. Cause I think a lot of people, especially in the service industry can be like, you know, advice and see that it's working and be like, oh, what if I gave myself a challenge to apply this to something different? Yeah, it's, um, AF is such an interesting one because I think, if one looked at it purely as a business, you like you wouldn't do it. Like mm-hmm. it sounds like a terrible idea. Like it's a perishable product. You know, it's expensive to make and to buy. Like there's a whole lot of shipping restrictions. It's like it's it's weird. Like it's not mass market. Like it just there's a whole lot of things where you're just like, that's not going to work. But I think coming at it very much from a perspective of it's it's a brand in itself and it is a distinct aesthetic and that doesn't mean that it's purely one thing like the core of it is obviously the flowers but I think very early on I saw the potential of it to be broader than that and I think that is what's allowed it to grow 
um, into something that is you know, its own being. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it didn't start as the idea of like, I'm going to start my own brand and, you know, what are the options? I could do this, could do that. Like it was just a creative experiment. So I've always used flowers in my styling work a lot. Like I pull them apart, I do different things, like I paint them. And I guess that's just like quite a natural part of my practice. Um, mm. I also, like I love gifting flowers. Like it's a, something I've always mm. loved to do. I always have to be weird. Like I don't like the bunches mm. that you get at the shop. Like I'd always get my own and like mix them up. And I guess sort of like with that knowledge, like I've always been drawn to like customizing things as well. So kind of got to a point and I was like, working with flowers a lot, doing lots of shoots, wanting to do more shoots and more fun things. I was dating a graffiti artist at the time and so we're always kicking about with paint and I was like, well, I just want to do like flowers for a shoot. So it was just like playing with different things and, yeah, it turned into the first iteration of an AF flower mm -hmm. sort of playing with more and seeing the opportunity to do it on repeat. Mm -hmm. I guess was the sort of the point where we're like, okay, this could be a thing that exists beyond a photo shoot. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was like, so it was developed in 20, like late 2020 and then launched in 21. And I sort of seen like floral modification coming up. So there's an incredible artist called Sophie Parker in New York who and like her artist name is Wife NYC. And she does beautiful painted like leaves and arrangements and, and theorems. It's quite mid-century, like, lots of reds and blues, lots of gradients, really beautiful. Um, and then there is, I always get her name wrong, Kristen or Kirsten from mm. Flower Pistol, um, who's based in LA. And she is probably the most comparable in terms of like a floral brand who has created a product. So mm. She does a product called the Erytherium, which is like chromed anthuriums, and she started doing leaves as well. It's super cool. So those were sort of happening at the same time. So it's like mm. I'm very much a believer in like collective consciousness, like mm. things are happening in the world that people react to, and that leads to you know similar creative practice. So yeah, I think like knowing that they were kind of going on but not wanting to be referential in any way. It was about developing a style mm. that was unique and still alone. Amazing. Um, yeah. yeah it like has, has rolled out into a lot of different spaces and I think that is very much from mm. having that knowledge of brand and that knowledge of comms and sort of the potential in what can be done with it rather than just being like, cool, okay, I'm working with flowers, therefore I have to like, be a florist and sell bunches of flowers. Like, mm -hmm. I don't really mm -hmm. want to do that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I think that's what I, you know, especially during COVID, we saw this a lot with people needing to diversify and, you know, there's definitely niching and finding your industry and, you know, getting on that early. But then there's also, yeah, like making sure that it has, I mean, you know, sounds like, creatively you like to have options anyway that's just who you are and doing different things um but yeah like outside of the box you know you've done so many installations and 
you know, fashion runways uh, like on clothing, but then also, you know, in-store fashion, you know, van stores and, you know, the was it NGV, I think. Yeah, um, NGV yeah. is the, the most recent one. Yeah, and that kind of, yeah, things where it's like, and again, I sounds like, you know, when you mentioned before your career path, there's like you couldn't have predicted it, you know, like there's yeah, perhaps like painting a flower with, you know, with your graffiti vibes and it's like, oh, one, you know, in two years this will be in the NGV. Yeah, like definitely could not have predicted that. Um, mm. But, yeah, I think it is that thing of like coming into a space with a different lens so you're not necessarily constricted by the rules of that industry. Mm. So it's been a real learning of being, I guess, like part of the floral world. Mm. And, you know, traditional floristry is phenomenal in so many ways and, you know, it's really hard. Like mm. people really hustle. Like there is so much work behind the scenes that I think people don't appreciate. Mm. You know, the flower market's like 3 a.m. or something. Oh, it's wild. And they're like, they're hectic. <laughs> like, it's fun. Like, I love going there now, but it was terrifying for the first, like, couple of months. And you're, like, going the wrong entrance. Then you have to, like, drive through all the forklifts and they're all, like, banging around. And you're yeah. just like, I'm going to die. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it's been, yeah, like a an interesting learning to look at something and be like, cool, I, I'm starting with this. Where can I take that to? And then being okay with that changing. So very much a startup journey where I'm like, cool, like do this and then evaluate whether or not that is something that is useful to keep doing. So mm. like the first year was just like hustle. Like I just did like drops, which was, you know, releasing the flowers, you know, once a month or so just mm. to like direct to the public. And then I was like, oh, my God, people have bought them. Now I have to, like, get them to them. So I'm, like, driving around, like, all over Sydney, mm. dropping things off, um, you know, realising. Driving all over Sydney is not fun. Not fun, really. <laughs> Probably more expensive in oh, tolls and oh <laughs> than parking <laughs> than the actual flowers. <laughs> and then, like, not factoring in any of that time at all. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, I like, like that though. Thing. That's a really good example for of you know doing the hustle. And I think people get stuck on not starting because they go, well, you know, they haven't figured out the delivery and all these things. And it's like just put it out there and see what the vibe is, and then figure it out. Which is that very startup mentality that you know people can. It's a skill set to be able to be flexible and adaptable yeah, and, and problem like, solve you know, on the fly. Like, yeah, you just have to start and you just have to try because. Mm. You'll never and you learn, you know, you'll never, you would have never learned, you know, okay, well, I need a better delivery system or, you know. Mm. And it's like, I'm now kind of going through the waves of, no, like knowing that people like the vibe enough to want it to be more readily available, but knowing within myself that it's not scalable for me to be painting every flower, which I have until this point. And then working out what the options for that. Mm. So, it, yeah, it's very much a, I'm like taking the learnings and taking the data and being like, okay, like this is option A, this is option B. You know, what happens if mm. the options, what are the pros and cons mm. of everything? And I think, I think that, it, yeah, 
So I just like that's very much from that startup mentality of like understanding that you've only got limited resources and, you know, you have to think about what you're doing instead of just like charging ahead all the time Mm -hmm. without having some kind of plan. Yeah. I was going to say it's, uh, it's reminds me so much of that incubator time and a lot of what I learned when I first started out, which was that, you know, having an idea and a level of, you know, a sense of kind of intention or clarity about what you think the idea is, but then holding it loosely enough to allow it to adapt and change and pivot to the need and, you know, to your, you know, expertise. But then I think there's, it really reminds me, and I think i just chatting to you now, realizing, oh yeah, like I learned that through all of my, you know, diving into startup world, which was pretty much all of the business world that you I had as an entrepreneur starting out. But it was that mentality of it's you start and if it doesn't work, you figure it out and it's not the end, but it's part of the process. And so it's okay to figure it out on the run. And I think, yeah, I'm just reminded that maybe we've forgotten the people haven't learned that and realize that it's like it's part of the exciting process to you know imagine you had that in the startup space yeah and it's like I don't think I realized that failure is okay until I was in startup land and actually specifically tech like Mm. before that it was still very much like I don't know a real um like not a growth mentality like Mm -hmm. Like, oh, you can't do that because this, you can't know. Oh, uh, like it was very like everything felt so constrained by resources, mm-hmm. which is like I appreciate that that is a real thing, but also like one needs to be able to have enough confidence to be like, okay, we have thought about these options and we're going to test that and then, or you know, like test these three things and then we will see, mm-hmm. we will go forward with the one that isn't the most effective and so I think yeah like tech really taught me that you have to try things because you're not going to know unless you try but then you also need to be confident in looking at those things objectively and being like did that work or didn't it is it Mm. worth continuing with that or not even though we put resources into it Mm. it's not the best pathway yeah to keep going forward with Massive. Yeah. Big time. And if you don't ask the question, like, if you know, if it's like, no, we can't, it's like, you actually never even allow your brain to creatively solve the problem as well, because you go, well, how can we make this work? You know, that shift is just like, you might, you might think that the only way to make it work is like, you know, buy this thing or hire this person. But it's like, when you go, how you, you know, I think the startup world does that really and incubators, you know, that's the whole mentality is to teach a growth mindset of being like, how? Yeah, and it's like, and the how might not be the structured path mm. that has happened for a billion other, you know, industries or whatever. It's like your situation is unique. Like your scenario is different to those other companies. Like you are allowed to take a different path. Like, mm. Yeah, big time. And so when you started to see that traction with Acid Flowers, is there was, you know, these cool collabs and things coming out of it and the social media engagement, 
is there you know, was that act was that kind of like a organic growth or was there was a similar approach to pitching and putting yourself out in front of people and letting them know what you had? Um, I think with AF it was very much a kind of PR via gifting was the sort of the strategy to get in front of people. So I obviously have the um you know, the skills of being a stylist and image maker. So I was able to, you know, kind of present the product in a branded manner right from the get-go. I think that was really important to start to build that recognition and to be like, this is a real thing. It's not just like, I don't know, it's not just like kicking about, like, take notice, it's mm-hmm. happening. Um, but, yeah, I did a lot of gifting early on just to people that, I think they're cool. But I was just like, mm. made some stuff, like, think you'll like it. Here you go. Mm. And, you know, the beauty of having something that is novel is that people are excited to share that. So, yeah, really great growth early on just from doing that. Um, mm. Tiny bit of press early on, like, you know, I know enough about PR to be like, cool, like I'll reach out to Broadsheet and just be like, hey, like, Valentine's is coming up here's some flowers that you might not have seen before. So a bit of that, which is always helpful. Um, And I guess like that's something that I feel like maybe people don't always understand. It's like editorial and press, like they're looking for stories. Like they want new things to talk about. So again, if you can put together like a nice little package with just like a little description and a nice photo, it's not that hard Mm. to get in front of people yep yeah amazing but yeah otherwise like lots of lots of growth just from people sharing images which was really amazing um and then I sort of just took all of the opportunities to start with so if someone wanted like a bunch of flowers for a present or for their wedding bouquet or for a party like didn't say no to anything I was just like Yes, everything for sure, 100%. Did that for about a year. Then I was like, okay, can't do that for ever. Um, so it's just kind of evolved. I'm like, okay, like I have to have a minimum order. I have to, you know, have some constraints around what I'm doing because there's just not enough hours in the day to facilitate everyone's needs. Um, and like, that's always hard because like, it's hard to say no when someone is coming to you and they're like, I want what you do. And you're like, I would like to, but also, like, I need to sleep and, like, exercise and do the work that I actually get paid for, like. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. How, is, how have you gone with that juggle? Because, you know, it's some effectively two businesses at this point, right, and, you know, and a healthy lifestyle. Um, but, yeah, how did you, how have you gone with that? Because I know that, you know, it, there's a tipping point and, like, from what I know of the actual product is, yeah, it's very time consuming and it's expensive and it's fragile. And, <laughs> you know, there's so many variables that, you know, you're managing with the actual just product. But how, what's your kind of strategy of, you know, manage, it's, you know, that you're managing something to be bitching and getting yourself out there, but then you have to come home and actually paint the flowers and then you have to, you know, drive them around Sydney. And, and so you're, you know, that tipping point of like giving lots of energy to something 
so that it can grow, but then also making sure it's, you know, profitable and worth it. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. Like it's been a busy couple of years. Um I guess I just approach in phases and there are different priorities in different phases. So like in the first year, it was very much like I gave myself time to be driving around and delivering and just sort of getting the word out there. And then last year I was really exploring like wholesale opportunities and whether that was a good pathway to take because I did have lots of interest from other florists and like I love that. Like I love seeing other people do amazing creative things with something that I've made, like super cool. But I sort of realized through giving that a bit of time to work out that it's actually not the most viable option for me going forward, but I was like, I had to give it that time. So it's kind of like I've recognized that I can't do everything at once and it's just like splitting it up and being okay with one thing being the focus in any one phase and then like giving that enough time to do it properly, but also having enough time to do the client work that I need to continue to do because like as much as AF is growing and like I do have amazing opportunities with it, it's also really expensive and it takes a lot of my energy and like money to mm. continue to grow in the way that I want it to grow. So yeah. Yeah. You've got to keep hustling on on other stuff. Yeah, for sure. No. And I think it's really it's really important for people to hear that too, because it's like, yeah, it's just because something is great and there's these opportunities, it doesn't mean that it's sustainable or <laughs> highly profitable. And I think what I also love about this story is it started out of playing as an artist, you know, like as a stylist and and then allowing it to grow and evolve. And I think that's another fact that I see that a lot with people is they go, I've got this idea and I need it to make me my full-time income so I can quit my job and do this full-time. And it's it this really can kill the ability to pivot and to, you know, enjoy it and to, you know, consider what the right growth opportunities are because, you know, yeah. they jump in and go, it's all about the money, you know, and it's like it seems as if there's Acid Flowers has this beautiful art imprint on it that it's it's first and foremost artistry yeah and I'm like I'm so glad that you said that because I think I've tried really hard to keep it in that space um and as much as you know there were opportunities to make it less art and more just kind of mass product that's not the space that I want to take it into because that would then cut out other opportunities. It's like the the stuff that I find fun and fulfilling and interesting is more of the, you know, the art and the creative and the, you know, the brand-based side of it. So yeah, it's like knowing that you can't do everything all at the same time. Um, but also that like, yeah, anything that you're growing, like it doesn't make money for the first bit. Like because if you're if you're putting back in what you're getting from it, that just kind of keeps going until mm. <laughs> until there is a step change. And that, for me, that's all part of the process. Like if I was 
Like it's not a business that I started to make heaps of cash. Like mm. there are a billion ways to do that. Like it's something that I love to do and I can see a lot of potential for. And so I will continue to do that until a point where it doesn't make sense or it's not interesting. I love that. And I feel like the real common theme throughout this conversation is your commitment to following, you know, your intuition and your truth and what lights you up and, you know, the direction, whatever direction that might be. And I think that's really, it's really nice to hear that. And it's obviously paying off because you know, people forget that they've, you know, that your truth and what makes you happy and what, how you want to be operating is also very important to the success of a business. Oh, massively. Mm. It's like, I can't think of anything worse than just like feeling stuck in something where you just saw the same day on repeat forever. Like, yeah. And it's like, it's a, you know, it's a slightly morbid you know, point that I learned this, but it's like when my father died, you know, he was 60 and, you know, there was all, he worked really hard for his whole life. And I knew that there were like all these things that he wanted to do. But he was like, oh, you know, I've got all these responsibilities to my family. Like, I'll do them later. And it's like, there was no later. So mm. it's just like, it's a learning that I had pretty early in life. And now I'm like, that's a real thing. Like you actually yeah. don't have around the corner. So yeah. like, Imagine. don't be hating on today too much. Yeah. I love that. Beautiful. Thank you. And maybe there's been so much in here. So I love this conversation. I could keep going and going, but maybe to, to finish us off, is there a, a number one tip that kind of stands out for you in terms of somebody looking to you know, turn their passion or artistry into a business? What would your number one piece of advice be? Number one is just start. Like mm. don't put it off because you're waiting for permission or an opportunity to come to you or the timing to be perfect like start now and you can refine it as you go along but just start I love that I put just start everywhere I was actually just before we jumped on this call I was at I just created a little audio series called just start and it's like five stages and I'm like I wanted it to be where it's like you know the you're either okay and how do I actually get clear on the plan you know where do I, how do I actually start? And then how do you maintain momentum? And then how do you make it a habit? And then how do you kind of like celebrate it? But I feel like those, when I was writing it, it was, you know, you can come back to that at any point, you know, like at, you know, whether it's writing a book or starting a business or, you know, redoing your website, like it's a cycle that I think you can come and enter at any point and be like, okay, which of these phases do I need a little hype girl thing on? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I love that. Great. Thank you for the brand (laughs) alliance there. Um, But thank you so much for your story. And yeah, congratulations on everything and giving so many insightful tips and just sharing, you know, so honestly, which I think is seeing and hearing your journey, there'll be so much for people to take away from in terms of what it takes and you know the process of getting to where you are where you want to where you want to be well thank you for listening to the very non-linear career (laughs) i love it no it's awesome a pleasure to have you on the show and congratulations thank you so much my pleasure